chapter 10 this morning. That's where we're going to be uh, for our message. We're in this series called All Hands on Deck. Uh, Pastor Josiah started this a few uh, weeks ago, just talk, setting this idea, this vision of just knowing that God is doing work, uh, not only obviously in our world, but doing work in our city, and we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what he's doing. Talk about this harvest that's happening, and so the idea, we talked last week about what that harvest is, that people, people who follow Jesus help make new people who follow Jesus. And that harvest is spreading the love of God, spreading the message of the word, spreading the gospel so that people can experience God and come to know him. And so we want to be people, this whole idea of all hands on deck, is we want to be the people that God has called us to be. We want to be doing the things he wants us to do so we can be part of what he's doing. Um, as we get started with today's topic within this, I want to tell you this story about that happened to our family a couple weeks ago. Uh, after, after church a couple weeks ago, uh, we were in full relax mode, which means I typically have a pair of uh, pajama pants on and some old t-shirt. I'm sitting in a chair playing a game or reading. That's what was happening this day. The kids were probably sleeping or on another TV or something like that. And at one point, Jeanette was in our kitchen and she was looking out the window. This is like her perch to see what's happening in the neighborhood for the whole 10 feet she can see right there. And I'm sitting in the chair on the other side of the living room and she just yells, Bobby, this old woman just fell across the street. You got to go out there and help her. So I jump up, pajama pants and t-shirt and all, put on my, this old pair of Crocs, and I go across the street, and sure enough, this is what I meet, Valencia. And she, her knee had buckled, and she went down. Like, thank God she didn't hit herself, hit her head or anything like that, but she was laid out on the street, and she couldn't get back up. Uh, there was another one of her neighbors that was there that was trying to help. Actually, two different neighbors. One of them had a dog, so couldn't help. Another one was another older lady and couldn't help her get up. And they're all like, we need help helping her, somebody. So I went over and like, you know, are you sure you're okay? You didn't hit your head, trying to help her. You know, got her up sitting on the little chair thing that she had. And, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, are you going to be okay? I'm like, you know, sure, you do want, let's call the doctor. No, 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 no doctor, no doctor, I'm fine. And so I pushed her over to her apartment around the corner. And, you know, again, you know, if you know me, I'm trying to joke to just to kind of, cheer her up. Hey, you want to like do some laps around this and kind of work it out? And like, no, 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 just take me home. And so we got her up in her apartment, got her, got her settled and she was fine. I've uh, been able to check, around, check on her a couple times since then. And it's just been cool interacting with this, this neighbor. Now, I don't say that to give myself kudos or anything like that. I say this because of the reality that while I was going across the street, I saw at least a couple people who walked right by her. While we were helping her, there was at least a few more people that just kind of walked on by. And that, sure, maybe some of them didn't see, maybe some of them didn't realize, maybe some of them thought, oh, they have it. But there were more people, but no one asked. No one checked. Everybody just kept going. And so thank God, Jeanette Soller, and thank God we did something, because if not, who knows how long she would have been there. You know, and again, she's, you know, you saved me, you saved me. I'm like, no, I just listened to my wife. I did what I was told. And so, but she, the, how many people just walked by? That's the thing that should be very disturbing for us. The way that Jeanette reacted to Valencia was compassion. What is compassion? Well, Daryl Box says this, compassion is that which causes us to identify with another situation such that we are prepared to act for his or her benefit. It is having the sensitivity to see a need and to act to meet it. That's the key here. That's what we mean when we talk about compassion. It's not just how I feel 
or what's happening inside of me. It's how I respond based on that. It's tied to action. It's tied to doing something. Compassion is something that's mentioned 12 different times in the New Testament. 11 of times is Jesus acting or talking about acting. And then the 12th time is somebody acting, asking Jesus to act. To be compassionate towards somebody is to enter into their world and to help them in the ways that they need help. It says in Matthew 9.36, one of these times we hear about compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them and then helped them. As we think about what it means to be all hands on deck people, as we think about what it means to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we must grow in compassion. Jesus' followers are compassionate servants. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a compassionate servant. This is what we want to talk about today. This is the big idea we want to get across, that Jesus' followers are compassionate servants. But before we jump into that, let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. God, we do thank you so much for the fact that you see our needs, that you know what we're going through, that you are sensitive to and compassionate toward the things that we have going on in our life, and that you act, and that you care, and that you love, that you provide, you protect in ways that we don't even see or realize. And go, so God, I pray that through the, your word today that you would speak to us and that God, you would teach us to be like you. That you would help us to take on your heart. That you would help us to be a compassionate people. Help us to see the compassion that you've shown us and help us to extend that to others. It's in your name we pray, amen. So as we think about this idea of being followers of Jesus, so we think about this idea that Jesus' followers are compassionate servants. Where does this come from? We're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan today, amongst other places. And the big thing that we're going to see, how this starts off, we want to talk about, is that a new life in Jesus produces love for God and love for others. When I begin following Jesus, when I have this new life in him, that life itself produces within me a love for God and a love for other people. Look at Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the lawyer, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now we have this story here, this thing that happened where one of these religious leaders of the day tries to come and trip Jesus up, try to make him look like the fool, or he doesn't know the scriptures, but Jesus knows the scriptures, he knows his stuff, and he takes them back to the Jewish law. It says in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are seen, there's so many different laws, there's so many different aspects to them, but these are seen as two of the most pivotal realities that blanket all the rest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. The central focal point of both is an idea of total allegiance and devotion. 
total allegiance and devotion to God. We don't do anything. It's based on what God has done, and I am devoted to him. The point isn't that we work for eternal life by loving God and loving people, by earning it or becoming a better person. That's not the point. The point is, is that our allegiance and devotion to God is seen and proven through how we love God and love people. The fact that God has saved me, the fact that God has redeemed me, the fact that God has restored me, the fact that God has given me a new life, the proof of that is the compassion and love that comes out of us. Does that make sense? And so that's the idea with that. When I make Jesus my center, I make Jesus my life, and compassion and love then overflow out of me. It isn't about an institution, it's about a relationship. What God has given me comes out of me. And so with that relationship in mind, we have to come back to what we said last week about being a disciple, about being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means I'm identifying my life with him and living my life based on who he is and what he's commanded. And here, Jesus gives, Jesus gives us new life, and he shows us how to live it. And here, his teachings and other parts of the New Testament show us that to be a Jesus follower is to be a loving, compassionate person. It says in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." Beloved, John, 1 John 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Galatians 5, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have to see, we have to come to this basic understanding and embrace this basic truth that being a loving person is not a checkbox that we mark off. It defines who we are in Jesus. Having compassion and serving isn't an optional thing. It's part of our spiritual DNA. To follow Jesus means we have a love for God and a love for others. But then if we have a love for God and we are loving others, the million dollar question is then how far do we take this? I mean, that's, even the, that's what the religious leader asked. That was what this lawyer at that time asked. He said, desiring to justify himself, realizing that he didn't trip up Jesus the way he thought, but Jesus tripped him up, he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Okay, I have to love my neighbor as myself. Well, who is my neighbor then? How far am I supposed to take this? Are there some people that are my neighbors and other people who aren't? And really, the lawyer's question is our question. Like, uh, who are we talking about? I mean, like, like everyone? I have to be a compassionate to servant to everyone? Like anyone? Like even if they've done this, or even if they this, or even if they're like this, or even if they smell like this, or even if they voted to that person, or even if they like this team, I have to serve and love and be compassionate to everyone? How far do we take this? Well, that question in and of itself reveals our heart. Because we're not truly tuned into the fact that Jesus has given us love and compassion despite who we are. And we are to love and to serve others despite who they are. 
We are to give love and compassion to anyone because God has given it first to us. And so we see Jesus respond to this question. And his response is going to show us that followers of Jesus don't deny or outsource compassion to others. Followers of Jesus don't deny or outsource compassion to others. Jesus said in verse 30, Jesus replied to this guy with a story. He said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho, so moving away from the holy city, and he's kind of probably on some really ravenous ravine, dark area, so like bad area that you shouldn't probably walk alone in. He's walking alone, and he gets jumped. He gets beaten up, he's left for dead, dying there in the road. And a priest comes by. A Levite comes by, part of the priestly group. Two people who worked at the temple. The two people who were religious examples of the day come and see this guy. And they just walked right on by. I mean, this wasn't just anyone. This was like the pastor and the person in leadership coming by and going by and not stopping. Is that guy dead or dying? I can't touch a dead corpse. That would make me unclean for my duties. It would make me unclean for everything I have to do. But the text says that they were coming down from Jerusalem. So they weren't going up to do anything. They were leaving. There really shouldn't have been a reason why they couldn't help this person. But they chose not to. Rules are rules. Best to just slip on by, not get unclean. Somebody else will help. Somebody more capable. Somebody else will handle this. I'm going to keep going. Daryl Bach says, Official pious Judaism had had two tries to respond and did not. The drama remains. Who will love this dying man? Who is going to help? The people that should have helped didn't help. Who is going to help this guy? The priest and the Levite modeled people who act religious but aren't true followers. They kept needs at a distance, the proverbial 10-foot pole. I can't get by this person, so I'm just going to scooch on over here. They were very me. Me was their central concern. Thinking of themselves, thinking, not thinking of the person and what's going on, but thinking how this would impact them. And maybe, yes, you will, man, they saw what happened to him. Maybe there was fear, maybe whatever. Still, that's very me-focused within the moment. Judgment and ridicule are produced. They justify not doing anything rather than acting. And with these people, compassion is either outsourced, have somebody else will do it, or it's denied. Denied, I'm not going to help them. He doesn't deserve my help. This isn't my people. Or outsourced, I'll call someone else to check on him. Or I'll just write this number down and leave it next to him. And when he wakes up, he'll see it. He'll call Pacific Garden Mission. I'm going to either just not help or rely on somebody else to help. But Proverbs tells us that when I keep the need at the distance, I'm not being as God's called me. Because it says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. And he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Well, I'm not like happy the person did that. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like we're also very moved to help either. This is not how Jesus' followers are to act. This is not all hands on deck living. 
In reality, this is a follower of Jesus living with sitting on their hands mentality. Instead of all hands on deck, it's sitting on my hands, not doing anything, not being moved to help, not being as Jesus calls us to do. And this is not how followers of Jesus act. Followers of Jesus don't deny or outsource compassion to others. Followers of Jesus are moved with compassion for everyone and anyone. It says, Jesus continues the story, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw the man, the Samaritan had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and, taught, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I mean, Jesus is teaching to a Jewish audience. And so to say the Samaritan, it'd be like he was talking, you know, this Bears fans on the road and these two Bears coach went by and the Bears assistant coach came by. But then this Packers fan came by and helped the guy. Like that would just kind of stoke disgust, understandably so, for all the people that were listening to this type of a thing. The Samaritans were not loved by this group. And so I'm just trying to like put it in terms we can connect and relate to here. And Jesus is giving this image that the person that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want anything to do with is the person who had something to do with the person you should have helped. True followers of Jesus live the opposite of the fake followers. They bring the need near or they go close to the need. It doesn't matter about if I'm going to get dirty. It doesn't matter if I'm going to get associated. It doesn't matter what people are going to think. There's a need here, and I'm not going to leave this person laying there. The you, the other person, is the central concern. How do I help them? Jesus produces, instead of ridicule and judgment, Jesus produces compassion and grace in the heart. And the true follower doesn't, isn't, they, their care isn't based on the person's story, their love is based on Jesus' story. Because too often than not, that's the thing. Well, it goes back to that idea. Well, they're like this. They're this type of a person. They act like this. They voted for this person. They, they like these things. I can't be around that kind of people. I'm going to step away. That's not how Jesus' people act. Jesus' people say, Jesus has given me this love. I'm going to share that love with him. It doesn't matter who the person is. If they need help, I'm going to do what I can to help. Can it be any wonder that the literal translation of the original, this idea of compassion, the picture that's given here is to be moved in the bowels. Now, I don't mean that from junior high humor or anything like that. Regardless if you're 7 or 70, you've done the I got to go dance at some point in your life, right? Something is happening inside of you, and if you don't act on it, things are going to get really embarrassing for a lot of people. The Greeks regarded the bowels as the seat of violent passions, such as anger or love. The Jews regarded them as the center of the more tender affections, especially kindness and pities. So the bowels were then what we would say, I love you with all my heart. They would say, I love you with all my bowels, which as many Christian comedians have pointed out, that would ruin a lot of love songs. You know, I'm not going to go there with any examples. But he says, Jesus' followers are affected deep inside. When they see something, 
I mean, you've been there. You've had that embarrassing moment where you're like, something's inside and I got to get it out because if I don't get it out, there's going to be a problem, right? What this picture is here is that I'm seeing this person. I see this need and it produces something inside of me that if this doesn't come out, there's going to be a problem. Compassion is brewing within me. Grace is brewing within me and it's going to overflow. That's the picture here. I am moved to overflowing emotion based on what I see. That's what Jesus followers do. That's how Jesus followers act. I am moved to help. And that type of love is costly. It costs time. It costs energy. It costs resources. But when you worship God, when you love him with all your heart, those things are merely tangible tools, necessities, not centralities, and it makes them easy to use for good. Fake followers worship time, energy, and resources, and in turn cling to them rather than helping. When we are followers of Jesus, we are moved with compassion for everyone and anyone, and we can't but help to act. Our, have you ever heard anybody say, like they maybe say something stupid or say something um, arrogant or mean, but they say, I didn't mean it? I mean, we all use that phrase, right? That's actually a very damning phrase, because if you say you didn't mean it, that means it came naturally. Sorry to ruin every like, marital or like, relationship conversation you've ever had, taking that line away from you. But when we say, I didn't mean it, that's not a good thing, because you're saying, that happens naturally. I didn't mean it, that just came out. That's not necessarily a good thing in those contexts. But in the context Jesus is talking about, when people who follow him see a need, compassion should just come out. I didn't mean it, it just, that's just how we act. I just, my knee-jerk reaction, my just, just without thinking was moving toward, moving near, how do I help? And even like what the, the Samaritan said, I, if he needs more, I will come and be there. How often do not do we give the fringes, we give the excess, we give the change, rather than truly helping somebody. And so how far do we take this? How far do we take the idea of being a neighbor? Wherever it's needed, wherever it's needed, Jesus' followers show compassion wherever it's needed. It says in verse 34, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The idea of neighbor, the title of neighbor is not about location. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about orientation. It's not about pocketbook. The idea of neighbor is a biological issue. Does the person have a pulse? Are they breathing? That's your neighbor. He makes it really simple. Is it a person? Yes, neighbor. Love that person the way you would want to be loved. Treat that person the way that God has treated you. That's who your neighbor is. I want to share with you this longer quote uh, that Daryl Bach shares. Sometimes you just kind of come up with your own words and then you read what somebody else says and it's like, why reinvent the wheel? They nail it with that. And so I want to read you what Daryl Bach says about this passage. The outgrowth of, of that love for God is a response to our fellow humans. We are to love and to be a neighbor to those who are part of our lives. Neighborliness is not found in a racial bond, nationality, color, gender, proximity, or by living in a certain neighborhood. We become neighbor by responding sensitively to the needs of others. 
Such was the example of the Samaritan who not only soothed the beaten man's wounds, but also took him to a place of shelter, cared for him, and made sure his needs were met. The Samaritan cared for a person he had never seen before. Without asking questions, he served a cup of mercy to a person half dead. By reviving life, he showed life. If we seek to restrict those we serve, we need to hear this lesson Jesus taught the lawyer. The issue is not who we may or may not serve, but serving where need exists. We are not to seek to limit who our neighbors might be. Rather, we are to be a neighbor to those who needs we can meet. We are to be a neighbor to anyone and everyone that we interact with. There is no one that you've never met. There's no one that you've ever met, no one that you've ever interacted with, no one whose face you've seen that God doesn't love. And there isn't anyone you've ever seen, anyone you've ever met, anyone whose face you've ever looked at that you can't be a neighbor to. And if, they, and if we say we can't be a neighbor to that person, then that's more of a commentary on us than it is on God's call and what God has given to us as his people. We, Jesus' people, are neighborly wherever it is needed. We show compassion wherever it is needed. We are called to act, to be compassionate, to move, to serve. And I love that little phrase that Jesus adds in here. He says, well, what do you think? He said that, you know, which, of these, which of these three do you think, sir, prove to be the neighbor? You look at the three of these that acted and walked by the, and interacted or walked by and interacted. Which one of these do you think is the neighbor? And that same question poses to us. Which of the three actually was the neighbor? Because Jesus' comment is the same to us as it was to this lawyer. Go be like the one that you know was a neighbor. You go and be like he was. God, not only, God, he treats us with love and compassion. And we are to treat everyone with the same love and compassion that he gives us. Everyone. And the beauty of everything is that God not only calls us, he equips us. As we talk about this idea of serving, we talk about being compassionate, as we being people that come along others, God calls us to this, but he also equips us to this. I want to kind of switch gears, and I want to go to one short, short passage in 1 Corinthians to kind of uh, addend to this. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. When he talks about the idea of a church community, Paul talks about the idea of the, the followers of Jesus gathering together as a family of followers of Jesus. He's saying God has not made us all the same and not gifted us all the same. He's put everybody in this place in the manner that you are here because somebody else needs you and they are here because you need them. And we're not all going to do the same things. We're not all gifted by God in the same ways. But the things that we can do and the things that we're gifted to do are something that's needed. And the reality is that you are a gift to the church in the same way that the church is supposed to be a gift to the community that we're in. We are supposed to show compassion and love toward others outside of this place. And we're supposed to show compassion and service to people inside of this place as well. God gives each of us the idea of a spiritual gift to serve and to love. A gift is a spirit, Holy Spirit, empowered ability which is given to serve others. It's a specific means by which the Holy Spirit is going to work through you, a spiritual superpower, if you will. 
And one of the, some of the things we need to realize about the idea of our gifting and how God has made us and when we're following him, these gifts that he gives us is one that God is, your gift was picked by God. God is the one who empowers us and you are given gifts. Romans 12, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. It's not something that we ask for, apply for, request or order or anything like that. God graciously gives us the gifts that he knows work with us and will work best through us. And our gift is spirit-empowered. Think about the idea of one of the gifts that we see is the gift of teaching. That's one that we could possibly see. Actually, it's not a holistic lift, but some of the gifts that are mentioned in spirit are exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, service, teaching, administration, discernment, faith, helps, knowledge, and wisdom. And everybody, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have at least one of those. And we talk about them being spirit-empowered. Think about the idea of the gift of teaching as an example. We've all had great teachers. We've had amazing teachers. You probably have that one teacher where you were like, they were the best. It's one thing to be an amazing teacher. It's another thing to be someone who's teaching by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you take Mike Tyson, I know he's retired. I know he's not in the ring anymore. But if Mike Tyson punches you, that's going to hurt because he just has a natural ability and it's going to be a mean punch. If Superman was a real thing and he punched you, that would be an entirely different experience. There's one thing that's a natural ability and there's something else that's supernatural. When you are using your gift, sure, there's a lot of merciful people. Sure, there's a lot of compassionate people. Sure, there's a lot of leaders, but there's something about the spirit working through somebody with those gifts. And so the gift that God has given to you is spirit-empowered. And that gift was given to you, but for others. Spiritual gifts are never for our own experience. They are to serve the communities, the church. When, we first, when 1 Corinthians 12 says that your gift and my gifts were given, why? For the common good. This is why we need to see that, like I said a second ago, you are here because somebody needs God to work through your gifts. And other people are here because God wants to impact your life by working through their gifts. There is no one here that is taking up space if you are following God and trusting him to use your gifts. You are part of what he is doing. You are encouraging and building up this body. And you were meant to do that. 1 Peter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You are here because somebody needs the grace and mercy of God to flow through you. And you need to experience that flowing through other people. We are called to show compassion and service to other, one another and to show it to our neighbors as well. I mean, we think about the reality. There are so many things going on in this room right now. So many challenges, so many obstacles, so many struggles, so many dreams, so many things that people are trying to aspire to. And none of us were meant to go through those things alone. Some of the things that are happening in our church family, whether it's financial issues or marital issues or parenting issues or student issues or finance, whatever it is, some of those things are really are harder than they need to be right now 
because you're keeping them private and not allowing the family of God to use their gifts to minister to you. The be in community, to be part of a family, is to allow the church to love and care and support for one another, for people to use their gifts to encourage and come alongside you. And some of the things that you're dealing with right now, I'm dealing with, they are heavy things, but they feel heavier than they are typically because we try to do them alone. I don't want to bother anyone. I don't, I'm going to keep this private. I don't want to have anybody know. That to be a Christian is to be countercultural and hyper-private hyper private living to where no one knows and no one experiences is not, does not have a place in the family of God. We need to be open. We need to let people know. It doesn't mean you have to come up on stage and like shout, hey, I'm really struggling with this, but let somebody know. We're going to talk about being connected next week. It's why we're in community. It's why we do groups. It's why we share. It's why we pray for one another. Because we need help. And just, life is going to be really, really hard at times. Marriages are hard. School is hard. Work is hard. Parenting is hard. So all of it's hard. But it can be less difficult and less heavy if we bring other people into it and let them use their gifts in our lives. You are truly a gift to this place. You are meant to be part of what God is doing. And it'd be a shame for, to be given a gift and never open it. And so you need to be here and allow God to open that gift and use you in this place and in this community. God calls us to be compassionate and he equips us to do stuff. We are a part of a church family. We are a part of a neighborhood. We are part of a city. So we need to pray for opportunities to be compassionate, to be neighbors, and to use our gifts. And so here's some questions I want you to think about as I close today. The first one's a heart check. Does compassion come out of you? Does compassion and mercy and I want to help does that naturally come out of you? The reason why I say that question is a heart check, because if it doesn't naturally come out of you, you have to ask the question, are you a follower of Jesus? Because to be a follower of Jesus means compassion and grace come out of us. We, 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 our, our default is to be compassionate. And so does compassion and grace come out of you? This isn't just something to be humble and honest about. Jesus redeems me producing compassion. So if it's not, compassion isn't there, I have to ask myself, is Jesus there? And though, don't beat yourself up if the answer is no. This is a moment to, okay, let's, let's follow Jesus. Let Jesus give you life. Let today be the day of salvation. Begin following him. Repent of following other things. Begin following him. Put your faith in him and let him give you new life. Let him give you a new identity. So that compassion and grace then flows out of you. But we all have to ask that question. Is compassion coming out of me? Because if not, I have to be honest and ask why. The second question is a church check. Do you call this place their church, your church, or do you say my church? I'm not, you know, not trying to get political or whatever, but this is a check your pronouns kind of a moment here. Because when you say their church, when you say, oh, Baba, you know, at your church, you've been here for five months. My church, your church, what, well, is it your church? 
When we use they and their, you can come and go. You can just kind of sit and leave. You can keep the need and the help and the people at a distance. But when it's my church, that means taking ownership. When it's my church, it means I want the people of this place to grow. When it's my church, it's I want the people who are struggling here to get the help that they need. When it's my church, it's I want people to find Jesus in this place. When it's my church, it's I want this to be the best that it can possibly be for the Lord. When it's my church, I take ownership of what's happening in this place. When it's their church, I just sit in a pew here and then I go. And let me tell you, God has called you to look at a church as my church. And so I want it to be this place for you. But if, it's, if you can't say this is my church, for whatever reason, you need to figure that out why, or find the place that you can say this is my church, where you're connected, where you're involved, where you're participating, where you're building relationships, where you're going through life with one another, where you're using your gifts and other people are using their gifts in your life. To be a compassionate follower of Christ means that I have a place that it's, that's my church. And I'm helping people grow in that place. And they're helping me grow. And we're helping people find Jesus. And so which pronouns do you use when you talk about this place? And then the last thing. Am I living all hands on deck or am I sitting on my hands? It's kind of tied to the other two, but it has to be said. Are you doing something? Now, different seasons are going to bring different opportunities. I mean, even that passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that I read, it talks about the idea of varieties of service and varieties of gifts and varieties of activities. We can't all do the same thing, and at different seasons, we won't all do the same thing. The couple that just had a baby isn't going to be able to do as much in that season. Focusing on that little one is as holy as anything else and everything else. There are different seasons when we're just going through so much and so much is going on, and we need to regroup for a little while. But not doing anything? Never. There has to be this idea, am I serving the Lord? And again, sometimes the way that I serve the Lord is I'm caring for this little one right now. I'm caring for this family member who's sick right now. But as far as being part of a community and being part of a neighborhood, are you living all hands on deck or are you sitting on your hands? Now, again, and let me qualify, there's, so, there's, there's needs everywhere. And we, it's overwhelming, right? Have you ever felt overwhelmed with everything, like all the stuff? I can't help, I want to help, and I can't help at all, and how do I do this? How has God gifted you, and what opportunities can you enter into and focus on and be a part of it, making it awesome for the kingdom of God? You won't be able to do it all, but you can focus on something and make it awesome. And so as far as being part of this community, how can you be part of this community? Get involved in a ministry. Get involved in serving. Within the, play, the neighborhood that you live in, how can you love in that place? Because we can. We just have to get off our hands and live all hands on deck as the compassionate, loving, serving people God's called us to be. And so which is that for you? God has shown us love and grace and compassion. We are called to show the same with everyone. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you do show us that love. 
that you show us that grace, God, that you have shown us serve to be a servant because you have served us and we thank you so much for it. God, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would let us see the places in our lives where we've been dormant, that we've been passive, that we've been apathetic. And God, help us to wake up, to step up, to do what we can do. If it, figure help, whether it means just asking for help to figure something out or finally putting off excuses and doing something, whatever it might be, God, direct us and give us wisdom and discernment to be part of what you're doing in this church and in this community where you've placed us. God, thank you for using people like us to tell others about the amazing God that you are. Help us to be excited about that by reminding us of the fact of all that you've given and and all all the different ways you've loved us and provided for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.